Good morning. Good morning. All right. It must be raining. People like the rain and they're friendly. And... Yay! Praise God. Uh, my name is Kevin Jackson. For those who don't know, if you're visiting, um, I am uh, an elder here at Windsor Road Christian Church, which means that I am, am not the minister, the senior minister. That's Randy. He's out. Um, and he asked me to uh, speak this morning about uh, living out your faith in your workplace. Living out your faith in your workplace. Uh, so that's what I, I hope to do. We can have our discussion. Uh, but let's start with a word of prayer. I know Justin just prayed, but I, I need to pray. Okay. If you'll bow with me. Father in heaven, you are holy and mighty. You are a powerful God, um, and you love us so very much, and we thank you, God, for this time together. We thank you for this rain. What a blessing. Now, God, as I begin this message, I pray, Lord, that I would just be taken out of the way that, um, that while people will hear my voice. It will be your message, Lord, that's heard this morning. We praise you and pray that you bless our time together. In, in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Patricia. Patricia. Um, Patricia worked at a bank. And because she wasn't college educated, she started out uh, as a teller at, at this bank. And, but soon, she was promoted. She moved from uh, beyond the window, the teller window, to a desk right in the front of the lobby. And what she did was she would uh, greet new customers as they came in. She helped them with their accounts. And this was a perfect fit for Patricia because... Uh, because the customers just really felt comfortable asking Patricia questions. In fact, they would ask questions that sometimes went beyond bank business. And this comfort that people felt with Patricia didn't, uh, wasn't limited to the customers, but, but Patricia's co-workers did the same thing. They would come up and they would ask her questions about the bank and share with her personal things. And they knew something was different about Patricia. Something was different about her. They knew that they could go and get encouraged and get supported. She was different. This morning, I'm going to uh, try to discuss what it is that makes Patricia different. Why is she different? And I'm going to start by uh, looking at a passage in Colossians. Looking at a passage in Colossians, Paul writes a letter uh, to the Colossians. And I'm going to be looking at chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 22. But before that, i just give you some context for, uh, for this letter, Paul's letter. There are a few interesting things to point out about Paul's letter. Uh, the first thing is that, is that most scholars believe that Paul actually never visited the church in Colossae. Never went there. In fact, the church was probably founded by a guy named Epaphras. 
I like saying that, Epaphras. And in fact, Paul gives a shout out to Epaphras in the first chapter of his letter. Hey, remember Epaphras. A second thing that's interesting about this letter is, has to do with something that uh, Tim Combs talked about last week, and that is when Paul is writing his letters, he's, he's not generally doing it on a whim. He's, he's trying to address some issue or some concern that has come up in the church that he feels like he needs to address. And that's true of this church in Colossae. And it turns out, when, as Tim Combs talked about last week, uh, when uh, Paul is writing a letter to Timothy to try to combat this idea of Gnosticism, the same is holding true in the, in the church in Colossae. There are teachers that have come in uh, to the church, uh, kind of preaching the tenets of, of Gnosticism. And one of the things, the tenets that's being taught is that, is that Jesus is subordinate to the true God. So in their minds, the way they fix the world is there's God, and then there's man, and then in between there's these other things. And those other things include angels, for example, and these other things included Jesus, below God. Well, Paul, in his letter, states the case. If you read the letter, he makes a very compelling case. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. But then Paul goes on to to explain to the Colossians, to the Christians in in, uh, Colossae, how they should relate to others. As a Christian, how should they relate to others? And he starts by talking about how wives should relate to their husbands. And then Paul discusses how husbands should relate to their wives. Then he speaks about how children should relate to their parents. And you should really read that part. It's good. Um, And finally, he talks about how masters should relate to their slaves and slaves to their masters. And this, is, this part of the passage is what I'm going to pick up on. And it's not because I think my boss is a slave driver or something like that. But if you think about it, what it represents is, an, is a setting where Christians have people in authority over them. And Christians have authority over others. And that think that describes most of us in our workplace. We have a workplace where we have people that are in authority over us. We answer to somebody. And then there are those who answer to us. And so Paul lays out uh, characteristics that Christians should display in in these settings. So let's take a look um, at uh, Colossians. I'm reading in the third chapter. I'm starting with verse 22. And Paul says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, 
provide your slaves with what is right, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Now, when I read this passage, there are several characteristics that I pick up on that, uh, that seem to be suggestions from Paul as to characteristics we should display when we're in these settings, when we have people in authority over us or when we have authority over others. One of those characteristics is that we should be submissive. I know, bad word. But what we mean by this, submissive, it means that we should respect people's authority, people's position of authority. Doesn't mean that we have to like them. Doesn't mean that we have to agree with them. But what Paul is saying is that we should respect their position of authority. A second characteristic is that we should be hardworking. Paul says, okay, you should be hardworking. In Paul's words, you should work as if you're working for the Lord. That's what Paul says. We should be hardworking. So that means that we probably shouldn't be the last ones in and the first ones to leave. It also means that we shouldn't shirk our responsibilities, hoping that someone will pick it up, you know, when we're gone. Be hardworking. A third characteristic is that we should be honest. We should be honest, which means for us that, okay, we probably, uh, when we're filling out our timesheets, we shouldn't be creative in how we round the number of hours we worked, right? Well, I worked 17, but it'd be easier if I just say 20, you know, round it up to 20. But it also means things like uh, you know, we shouldn't raid the office supplies as school is starting and we didn't get the chance to get to Walmart. I'll just pick up a few extra, right? Be honest. Be honest. And for those Christians who find themselves in a position of authority where they have people that, re- that are responsible to them, then they should be fair. Be fair. Do right by those who you have authority over. I think we know what that means. Be fair. Don't tell them you're going to do one thing and then shift what you said you're going to do because you can. You're an authority. You can do that. I can change my mind. Do right by them. Treat them fairly. Now, some of you may be taking notes. Many of you probably think, I don't need to take notes because I know this. And in fact, you probably should know this. Characteristics, things that we should do while we're in a workplace, characteristics we should display, behaviors we should, we should uh, display. In fact, there are probably some other characteristics that are good, that would be appropriate for Christians to display in the workplace. And in fact, the characteristics that we spoke about, along with any other characteristics you can think of, probably are a good idea for any employee to display in the workplace. So, it's in my experience that it's, it's, it's not the knowing what's right and what's wrong that gets us tripped up. It's actually doing it. You know, for me, I know what choice I should make and I know what thing I should do, but sometimes I just don't do it. So I think the better question for us, rather than, hey, let's spend some time uh, thinking about all of the characteristics, I think the better question for us is, why should Christians display these characteristics? Why is it important for us to display these characteristics? 
Um, Paul does a, uh, gives us a hint in his letter to the Colossians. In chapter 3, um, just before the passage I read, um, Paul uh, says this, uh, and I'm looking at chapter 3, verse 17. Paul says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, whether in, whatever you do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. That, that gives us a hint about what Paul is, uh, has in mind for why we do these things. I think it's more explicit uh, in his letter to the Corinthian church. And again, uh, in this passage in Corinthians, I'm looking at 1 Corinthians. I'm going to be in chapter 10, verse 31. And I'll set it up for you a little bit. Uh, again, Paul is uh, addressing an issue that's come up in the church. And in this case, the issue is, well, if a non-believer gives me something to eat or drink, should I as a Christian partake or should I not partake? Um, will people around me be offended who are Christians if I partake or do I offend the non-believer by saying no thank you? And what Paul basically says is, hey, if your conscience tells you to do it, to partake, then partake. If your conscience tells you not to partake, then don't partake. But this is how he sums it up because he broadens the issue in this passage, this verse that I'm going to read. He broadens the issue, summarizing it this way. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. And I think that this is what Paul probably has in mind when he's talking about why we should display the characteristics, these characteristics in these different settings. I think what he's saying is that we display characteristics, we display these characteristics to glorify God. That is why we do these things. This is why we behave certain ways is to glorify God. That's our mission. Our mission is to glorify God. And so we should behave in a way that glorifies God. Now, sometimes the wheels fall off, even if we recognize this as our mission. Sometimes it doesn't work out that well, and things go wrong. So I'm going to talk about what are some things that go wrong that keep us from completing our mission. And the first thing that can go wrong is that we aren't consistent. We don't consistently display the characteristics that glorify God. Well, what can we do about that? Why does this occur? And here again, I'm going to borrow a little bit from Tim Combs last week because he talked about something that he phrased, cultivating a relationship with Christ. Cultivating a relationship with Christ. And when we don't cultivate a relationship with Christ, it makes it very difficult to be consistent in behaving in a way that glorifies God. So how do we cultivate this relationship? Well, one way we do it is through reading the Bible. Um, and again, I'm, I think I'm not going to tell you anything you don't know. Read the Bible. The Bible is God's word. 
the Bible is what one way in which God reveals himself to us. If we want to cultivate a relationship, we should get to know him. And reading the Bible helps us know God. Well, another thing that we can do is, is we should pray. Prayer should be one thing that we do that helps cultivate a relationship with Christ. Prayer. Now, uh, I was, as I was preparing this, I was thinking about sometimes when I put my children to sleep. And I asked them if there are any prayer requests. And sometimes they say, no, no. You sure you don't have any prayer requests? No, no. But what they really mean is they can't think of something big enough, something that's big to ask. And I actually find myself doing the same thing. Sometimes I think, well, I don't need to pray because there's nothing big going on. But, I, but we lose sight of the purpose of prayer when we do that. The purpose of prayer is to nurture a relationship with Christ. That's why we pray. We don't pray to give God the headlines. We pray to nurture a relationship. And so my sense is that, that God would be fine. In fact, God would be thrilled with a little Facebook post that says, hey, I really want to learn how to bake bagels. Or uh, I, was at the, I was at the picnic and had a great time. Period. I'm new to Facebook, so these things give me a chuckle just like... But the point is that, the point is that it's nurturing a relationship. Few of us have relationships where the only conversations we have are big stuff, big concerns. This is my best friend. How often do you talk to him when I have something really big to say? No, we talk about small things. And... And when, as we seek to nurture a relationship with Christ, we should come to him with small things too. Bring the big things, but come to him with the small things too. Prayer helps nurture this relationship, cultivate this relationship with Christ, which allows us to be more consistent about behaving in a way that glorifies God. A third way to cultivate this relationship with Christ is in corporate worship, is coming to worship and being supported and encouraged with other believers. It's another way to cultivate a relationship. As we cultivate relationships with each other, as we nurture relationships with one another, that helps us nurture and cultivate a relationship with Christ. Now, another way in which things go awry, where we miss the point, we move off track from our mission, is when we fail to give God credit. Fail to give God credit. We have some things that we're doing that we're accomplishing in work. Uh, some things that we're doing where uh, um, people are taking notice of us. And rather than give credit to God, we take credit. Well, that gives us glory. That doesn't glorify God. That glorifies us. Now, I want to be clear, because I think the danger is, the danger when I say something like that is that some of you will go, well, what's he talking about? Should we all go print T-shirts? 
Do we have to wear a pendant on our lapel? Or do we have to cover our car with bumper stickers? No, I think, I think what, what I feel that is uh, at a minimum appropriate is what Peter tells us in his letter. Um, in 1 Peter, in 1 Peter, uh, he offers this. He says, and this is chapter 3, verse 15. Chapter 3, verse 15. Peter writes, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So, rather than plaster your car with bumper stickers, be ready to answer the question. Be ready to answer the question. When people ask you, well, how can you get along with the boss? You know he's a jerk. Be ready to answer the question. When someone asks you, you know, that person did this rotten thing to you, your coworker did, how could you forgive them? Be ready to answer the question. Be ready. Be prepared. And what's your answer? Well, my answer is, I have a boss, but I serve a king. And that king is Jesus Christ, and it's through Jesus Christ I can do these things. It's not me. And not only should we be prepared to answer the question, we should desire that the question be asked. We should hope people ask us the question. They ask us the question, we get the opportunity to give credit to God. And in giving credit to God, we glorify him. A third, and by the way, you should always know there's a third bullet point because I'm a teacher, right? We don't put up slides with just two bullet points. Got to have three, okay? Uh, but as I, as I put, down this, put up this bullet point, um, uh, admittedly, I just I needed to have a third bullet point, but, but as I thought about it, it became more important to me. It became more important to me. I think sometimes that we fall off track from glorifying God because we just feel uneasy about glorifying God. And let me tell you what I mean by that. I think sometimes we feel that if we glorify God, then someone's going to call us a weirdo. They're going to think we're weird. And so I'm not going to do it. I just don't feel comfortable. Uh, I don't want to reveal that about myself. Um, and others uh, may feel uneasy because we just feel like, isn't that kind of selfish for, for God to ask to be glorified? That just seems so selfish. And we run the risk of, of drawing God into our human paradigm and thinking, well, you know, if Sally were to say, hey, I, I long to be glorified, I would call her weird and I would call her selfish. So we, so we hesitate, we're reluctant to glorify God. But there's something that helped me understand what it means to glorify God and why we should. 
And surprisingly, it's in the Old Testament. Got to get the Old Testament in. So uh, what I'm looking at is, is in, in Exodus... In Exodus, the 14th chapter, and I'm looking at verse 17, and let me set up kind of where in the narrative we are. So, uh, so the Israelites have left Egypt. They've just left Egypt. Pharaoh said, I've had it. Get out of here. And then Pharaoh changes his mind and sends the army after the Israelites, as the Israelites are, have come upon the Red Sea. Um, God has told Moses uh, that, hey, I'm going to part the Red Sea, and the Israelites are going to cross the Red Sea on dry ground. But they hear this army coming. They know this army is going to catch up to them, and so they're, they're lamenting. Oh, no, Moses, can't believe you brought us out here to die at the hands of the Egyptian army. And you know, I probably would have been doing the same thing if I were an Israelite at that time. Right? I would have been looking for someone to blame. Well, something bad's about to go down. Somebody needs to, to, to take credit for it. So I, I'm, not, I'm not dogging him because I think I would have been there with him. But God says something to Moses that, um, that it's important for us to hear. In, in 17, verse 17 uh, Uh, God says, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, going into the Red Sea after the Israelites. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Did you catch that? Read verse 18 again. And I should have it up there, by the way. Uh, Verse 18 again. The Egyptians will know that I am Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. So what God is saying is that as I am glorified, as I am glorified, the Egyptians will know me. They will know me through me being glorified. Well, that's a message for us, guys. That's a message for us. Our mission is to glorify God, not just to satisfy God, but so that others might know God. That's why we glorify God. When we glorify God, others, others can know God's power. Others can know God's justice. They get to know God's mercy. They know God's grace through our glorifying him. You see, God, God doesn't need us to glorify him. It's the world that needs us to glorify him. That's why we glorify him. Someone needs to know God. And when we glorify him, we show them God. That makes it easier for me. That makes it easier for me to say, I need to be about completing this mission. I need to be about glorifying God. Um, 
So uh, my conclusion then, my conclusion then is that um, when I start to focus so much on my job, on what I'm going to accomplish and what am I going to do, how am I going to be seen, rather than focus on my job, I should focus on my mission. That's where my focus should be, on my mission. Uh, as I was uh, pre- preparing this, you know, here's one thing that uh, when, asked, when, when, when Randy asked me to do this, um, uh, I always say yes quickly. Because if I have time to think about it, I'll go, oh, here we go. Um, because it's a, it's a proposition that makes you think. That really makes you think. And you go back and you revisit these things that have happened in your life. And you go, wow, that was, whoa. And one of the things that I thought about was uh, uh, several years ago when I was... Uh, uh, we just, we hadn't joined the church, we hadn't been in church that long. Um, and I got up here and I spoke about my job. And I spoke about how I was, I almost felt overwhelmed with the challenges of trying to keep my priorities in the right place um, when I'm feeling this pressure to do my job. I'm a, I'm a professor. I, I teach at the University of Illinois. And I was feeling this pressure to publish and to teach well and to get tenure. And I had a student who was in that service when I spoke. And he came by my office the next week and he said, <laughs> he said, okay, so should I be an accounting major? I mean, am I selling out? Am I giving up? Am I, uh, uh, am I not allowing God to use me by pursuing a degree in accounting? And I said, you know what? We need a lot of Christian accountants. <laughs> we need a whole lot of them. And so uh, that was my answer to him. But would it also made me do is hearken back to when I was thinking about my, my decision, or I don't even know if my decision, my desire to go into academia. Because I wasn't, uh, I wasn't the greatest undergraduate student. I was all right, but I was nowhere near like my wife. My wife was an incredible student. Uh, I was just all right. And so my prayer was not, my prayer to God was not, uh, God, uh, is this the right thing for me to do? My prayer was, God, will you let me do this? Will you let me? God, will you let me go to graduate school, school, be a doctoral student? God, will you let me become a professor? And God responded, and many of you have probably had this same kind of sensation because I really can't say that uh, I say God spoke to me and people go, well, did you really? Did you hear it? It wasn't like he uh, spoke to me, but he made me feel his words. They were words 
I didn't hear them, but I felt his words. And his words were, Kevin, you want to be a doctoral student? Be a doctoral student. But Kevin, as a doctoral student, glorify me. Kevin, if you want to be a professor, be a professor. But as a professor, glorify me. You see, God, he wasn't really concerned about my job. He didn't care what I accomplished in my job. What God's focus was on was my mission. Are you going to complete your mission? You can do this if you complete your mission. And that's a word for all of us. We need to think about our mission. Complete your mission. Glorify God. That's my mission. That's your mission. That was Patricia's mission. Glorify God. Now we're about to take communion, and I'm going to pray for communion. And communion, communion is another opportunity to, what we said earlier, cultivate a relationship with Christ. As we take communion, we are reminded that it's because of, of Christ's sacrifice that we have this relationship. What a beautiful thing. Let's pray. Can you pray with me?